Well, good morning. It is an honor uh, to be here with you this morning, uh, worshiping God and, and worshiping our King, and especially during this time of the year, right? We come down to the uh, close of the year. We come down to the Christmas season, which is my favorite time of year, all the joy that comes with that, um, and just the time that you have with your family, um, the time that you have uh, together. But most importantly, we obviously, we celebrate Christmas for the birth of our Lord uh, and Savior. But... You know, Christmas always gives you that thing to look forward to, right? You know, October hits, it's coming, it's coming. And then for me, Thanksgiving is like the, 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 like the marker, like, all right, we're here. We get to eat this Thanksgiving feast, and then after that, it's Christmas. And I remember in college, it was like smooth sailing. Like, you'd go back for like two weeks, and then you're off for like another four. So Thanksgiving was always like the mile marker, like Christmas is almost here. And it gives you something to look forward to. It's always great to have something positive and something great to look forward to. One of the times in my life that I remember looking forward to something, you, know, you guys know I, I, I'm going to give you a sports analogy. It's not, I'm not up here if I don't give you some kind of sports analogy. So I remember my senior year, I went to Cass High School, and we know the big bad wolf, Carswell High School. No offense to anybody here who pledges allegiance to Carswell High School, all love. But my senior year, it was the year that we were going to take them down. We said, we are going to do it. We've got the team to do it. It's going to be our year. And we were looked forward to that all summer long. I can't tell, I'm not exaggerating this. There was not a summer practice that we did not talk about that Cartersville game. And sure enough, we beat them. Okay, we did it. In fact, I believe it's the largest margin of victory that Cass has ever beaten Cartersville. Now, don't ask me how the rest of that season went. I don't even think we won a game after that. We put, apparently, we put too much energy into it. But that was our thing to look forward to. That was something that we looked forward to and that we, we just drove towards that. And some of you have things to look forward to. Some of you have marriages coming up. You have weddings. Um, some of you may have the birth of a new child coming up or you know somebody that has uh, the gift of a new life into your family coming up. But God has given us all something to look forward to. God has given us a hope to look forward to. If you look all throughout the scriptures, you see this hope, this promise coming and playing out throughout the story. I mean, it all starts at the epicenter of the Garden of Eden, right? Man falls due to sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. Adam and Eve, the, our, our federal human headship, Okay? They fell in sin in the garden. And so what followed that is a curse upon mankind where sin enters the world, darkness enters the world, and now we have to carry that burden. But throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the story, you see this plan unfolding. You see this thing to look forward to. And no, you may not quite know what it is, but you know that there's something to look forward to. I mean, just look at the story. God gives his people the law, right? He gives his people, uh, Moses and all the, all the people in the wilderness, he gives them the law. And of course, we know they broke that law. So then the priests had to give sacrifices to atone for the sins, to atone for the law breaking. And, and then the priests become evil. The priests become corrupt. And so it, it neglects any kind of sacrifice that would come. And so so then Israel cries out to God, we want leaders, we want people to lead us. And so God gives them judges, right? We all know the story of Samson, Gideon, God gives them judges, and yet the judges fall. The judges do what's right in their own eyes. I think you and I can relate to culture being in the place of that right now, right? It feels like we're living in the land of judges right now. 
The judges did what was right in their own eyes. And so then Israel cried out, we want a king. And so God gives them a king, King David, right? A man after God's own heart. And so King David becomes this, the most handsome king, the strongest king, the most powerful king. And yet he falls in sin and selfishness, adultery and murder. And so this promise then plays out through the prophets. The prophets come. Men that God chose to speak to God's people to tell them, redemption's coming, you must turn from your sin and come back to me. I mean, look at the story of Jonah. Why didn't Jonah want to go? He didn't want to go because he knew God was a promise keeper. And so the land that God called him to preach to, he knew that if he went and proclaimed the, the forgiveness of God through repentance of sin, he knew that God would remove his wrath. Jonah wanted wrath on that land. But he didn't go because he knew, he knew that God was a promise keeper. So as you see that story play out, what's the big message there at the end? God forgives that nation because they turn from their sin and ask for forgiveness. But what did the people do to the prophets that were bringing this great promise to come? Well, they killed them. Very, very violently killed them. But even in that, you see a promise to come. You see something coming. That there would be one to come that would be righteous among men, that would come to man, that would be his atonement, and that would be the one true king, the one Lord. And we all know that to be Jesus. Look through the Old Testament. Look for Christ there. The promise is all there. And then we see that promise being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. We're going to look at that story today, but I want you to pay attention to something very close. This great king to come and pay for man's sin, this great king to come and, and be our savior, to be the ruler of the world, to reign beside God. Look at how he enters the world. Look at his humility. And look at how this story plays out. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And we're going to stay in Luke 2, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 20. And so that's where we're going to mainly camp out. You will see some scriptures come up that may not be on your screen, uh, but those are just, uh, just some scriptures for you to meditate on and pray on. You don't necessarily have to turn to them. But we will be in Luke chapters 2, and I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census took at the place while the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea and Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. As you know, as Pastor Frank has covered, that prom, that, that baby was Christ. Come from the, that came from the Holy Spirit, that came through the virgin birth of Mary. That baby was to be born and be the Savior of the world. But check that out. Check out the end of that verse. 
She gave birth to a firstborn son, wrapped him in clothes, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here you have the king of the world, the son of God, the second part of the Trinity, and yet he was born in a manger. Born in a manger. Not born in some great palace. Not born in some place where, where he would be worshipped by all the nations in this great, huge throne. No, he was born in a manger. Traditionally, we see this manger as a place where the animals stayed, right? We see this as, as uh, the, you know, we see the nativity scene out in the yards of the kids. You see it right there with the animals, Christ wrapped in this manger. Some scholars believe that it may not have possibly been in a stable, but rather in the lowest room of the inn, but still in the lowest level with animals, still in the lowest parts of, of, the, of the inn. I mean, what does that say about Christ? The king of the world, our Lord, being born in this way. I think you find a picture of it in Matthew 9. You don't have to flip there. I'm going to kind of briefly give you, give you that text. What, is that, what does Matthew 9 say? Christ came to Matthew, a tax collector at the time, one of the most hated people in the land. And he came and he ate with Matthew. And he ate with sinners. Something that made no sense at all. I mean, imagine the most holy man, the most righteous man on earth coming to the ones who were despised, coming to the ones who were filled with sin, and coming to the ones who, quite frankly, were seen as not worthy to be with someone of that stature. But Christ sat with them, and he reclined with them. He stayed with them. And he told the Pharisees who, who barked at him for this, he said, I did not come for the righteous, but for the sinner. God, Christ born in the manger of a humble picture of this shows that he comes to us where we are in our sin. He came into this world, this dirty, rotten, dark world, and he came to us in humility. He came to us in a picture of who we are, but to save us where we are. This beautiful picture of him born in this manger, of him in, the, in a humble state to save us sinners who are ripped apart from God. Sinners who have been separated from God, who throughout this, God could have easily wiped the, wiped the face of the earth off again after the flood because you really don't see much improvement, right? But even so, he sends the Son of God to be born and born in the most humble and lowly place that he could possibly be born. Paul expands on this in Philippians chapter 2. He tells us in verses 6 through 9, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken his own advantage. Rather, he himself made he himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Christ himself came to earth as a man, still God, but as a man, taking the death of a lowly man, a lowly criminal's death. And he did that for you and I in our sin. He did that to repay the debt that we owed. 
And this promise that had been promised throughout the Old Testament, throughout the story of God, you'd think that this great high priest would come just brushing in and this, just, just this aura around him. But no, he came from the birth of a manger, and he died the death of a lowly criminal. I mean, what's that say? It says that God comes to us where we are to save us in our sin. We don't check off some boxes. We don't acquire some kind of righteousness. No, we submit and we trust in the one who came and we trust in the one who could pay for that debt. The only one who could pay for that debt. Look at this great king, how John sees this great king Jesus in Revelation 1. I mean, just look at the language here. Revelation 1, verses 12 through 18. Look at the language here. I turned and see the voice that was spoken to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest, and hair on his head was white like wool. It was white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look at this great king, this, this aura around him, his hair like white as wool, and the flaming sword of the gospel coming from his mouth. This is the vision of, of Christ that John sees. And this is the king that comes to us and that saves us from our sin. I mean, what other king in this world will do that? What other leader comes to you and goes to the front lines to do that for you? Politicians and presidents, they don't come to the front line to save you. They send troops they send infantry. They send all these things. No other king comes to the front lines and pays for the debt like Jesus. This great king comes to us from where we are and saves us. And it's the simple act of faith in him is what saves us. Going back to our, our main text, Luke chapter 2. I want you to see what happens after this birth, after this, this birth in this dirty place and this birth in this rotten uh, environment. But yet, look at what happens here. Verse 8, we're going to read verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes in a manger. So imagine this angel just appearing to you and just telling you these things. And who did the angel come to? He came to shepherds. The angel didn't come to these powerful people. The angel didn't come to these powerful governors to inspect this and make sure that this was cool before anybody checked this out. 
No, he came to the most blue-collar profession at that time, a shepherd. He came to the most humble person at that time, a shepherd. You know, this lines up with the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, when Christ says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, who, are, who, are, who have no hope. He came to the hopeless and the humble to provide hope. This angel comes to the shepherds, who were, who were just these blue-collar, humble people at this time. Points to the humility of who God is and who Christ is again. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God, the highest of heaven, and all earth and peace to those who his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who had heard it were amazed. And the shepherds said to him, But Mary treasured of all these things. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things in which they heard and which they had been told about. So what's the end there say? That they were praising God, that they were glorifying God for what they had seen. There was no question about what they had seen. There was no, there was no wonder about it. They, they praised God and they glorified God because the king that had been promised, even from the fall, the king that was promised from the scriptures, the king that was promised by the prophets, he'd come. He had come. And what did this mean to them? This meant hope. This meant hope that their sins will be paid for, that Emmanuel, God, has come among them. The promise had been fulfilled, and there he was, right there before their eyes. I mean, imagine that hope. Imagine that hope that rests upon them. The hope that had been promised throughout the scriptures, that had been pr promised over and over again, that for those who had fallen short of God's glory would be paid for, would be saved by their faith. We get an idea of this hope in what Peter writes in 1 Peter. Peter wrote to a group of Christians at the time who were scattered and exiled, who were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. How most of these Christians who lived in the land at the time, they were forced to, they were pressured to go back to the old Judea, Judaism practices of religion. They were forced to run away from Christ. They were forced to abandon their faith because of the persecution that they faced. But what Peter writes to these Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 8, again, you don't have to turn there. He writes them a, a message of hope. He writes to them something that they can press to in the face of their persecution, something that they could believe in. I mean, can you imagine being dispersed from your home? Can you imagine just in your home with your family, and because of your faith in Christ, you are forced to leave. You're forced to run away and flee. This is what they were dealing with at the time. But look what the hope that Peter speaks to. 1 Peter, verses 3 through 8. Praise be to the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us birth to a new hope through the resurrection from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Let's stop right there. 
What is the hope that is promised? The hope is promised of an inheritance, an inheritance of heaven, an inheritance of worshiping with God the Father in a perfect Eden, just like the Garden of Eden we saw in the beginning. That promise is to come again to those who stay with Christ, who have faith in Christ to the end. And that's what Peter's telling these these Christians at the time. Stay hopeful. Fight through the persecution. Keep pressing on. There is an inheritance prepared for you. The same inheritance that Christ told his disciples in the book of John. He said, I will prepare a place for you. That place will be perfect, and that place will be a place of worship with God our Father. So what do we see here from this simple Christmas? What do we see here from this simple message, this simple birth of Christ, simply just put in a manger of humility, of, of, uh, of just coming down to man to save man? We see hope. We see hope. The hope of God's people that have been separated throughout the Old Testament, have been separated by their disobedience. Hope came through Christ. Think about today. 2020's been a hard year, amen? Been a lot of tough things we've had to deal with. Everybody in here has probably had to deal with some kind of stress, some kind of struggle, just like we all do every year. But 2020 especially has been hard. And most things you can't control, right? A lot of things we have not been able to control this year. But there's hope to be found in Christ. This Awesome God, whose hair is like wool, whose face shines so bright that there will be no need for the sun, whose flaming sword comes out of his mouth. That's the power of the gospel that pierces the hearts and saves and brings men and women to salvation. This is the hope that we can press to. This simple Christmas, this simple idea of the Savior being born by the promise of God has given us all a hope that we can press to. Now, some of you are dealing with some real issues. Some of you have lost loved ones just this past week. Some of you maybe are struggling with job issues and just hopeless, hopelessness. Don't forget about this promise, this promise that is given to you, that through sin and rebellion, we have been separated. But what is the hope? The hope is the inheritance that came from the debt that was paid by Jesus Christ, who, like this story tells us, born of a virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walked and lived on this earth, perfect and sinless, performed signs and wonders out of a heart of compassion, and then paid the ultimate debt of being crucified, punished, beaten, whipped, and nailed to a cross to suffer a lowly criminal's death. And why is that? To pay for the lowly criminal's death. You and I. Our sin that separated us. But Christ paid the debt. And the hope that comes from it. Forgiveness of sins. A clean slate wiped away. And you can look at Christ and say well. Or he looks at you and says well done good and faithful servant. It only comes by one way. And it's Christ. It's faithful submission to him. I find this part this interesting. I may be reading too much into this, but, you know, if you read in the garden, what blocked the gate of the garden, like what blocked Adam and Eve from going into, pressing into that or being exiled from it, it was a flaming sword, a flaming sword. 
What do we see from that, that great vision that John has? We see this flaming sword coming from his mouth. That flaming sword is God's word in the gospel. There was only one thing blocking Adam and Eve from that garden, and it was the righteous debt that had to be paid, and it comes through the gospel. Look, if you're listening tonight, today, and you have lost hope, or you've hit some struggles, or your faith feels shaky, let me tell you something. Hope is going to be found in Christ. There's only one thing that's going to bring hope into this world. All other things will fall. Money will fall. Your job security will fail. It can fail. I hope it doesn't fail for you, but it absolutely can. You can even lose loved ones, the ones you cherish so much. But what is the one thing that God has promised? It's an inheritance placed before the beginning of the foundation of the world. And it's found by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and faithfully submitting to Christ. And hey, if you're listening to this for the first time, you haven't done this. Let me tell you, right now, you are like standing at the edge of a plane, 20, 30,000 feet in the air. And you've got to jump. At some point, you will have to jump. But God's given you a parachute. That parachute's Christ. Don't just believe in the parachute. Believe on the parachute. You can believe the parachute will work, but until you put it on, you won't be saved from the ground. Scriptures say to believe on Christ. If you're hearing this Christmas year outside of the grace of Christ, or if you have family entering this Christmas year outside of the grace that's offered through this great King Jesus, I beg you, plead you, First test what I say, find God through Christ, submit yourself, repent of your sin, and turn and trust him, and press into the inheritance that is promised for you, and the hope that comes. And my prayer is that every one of us here today will see the hope that comes from Christmas. Not the hope of enjoying our families, not the hope of enjoying our gifts. Of course, those are great things. I'm not telling you not to enjoy those. But key in to the hope that is to come. Everybody says 2021. We can't wait for 2021. Well, the hope of Christ is way better than what's to come in 2021. It's eternal. It's promised. And it will be fulfilled. And you accept it by faith. And that inheritance will be placed for you. Look to Christ this Christmas. And make your Christmas simple by just worshiping him and giving him the glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you broken. We come before you in sin. We come before you stained by that curse that was placed in the very beginning. But we find forgiveness and the one who is only worthy enough to give forgiveness, the only one who is worthy enough to pay for that forgiveness. And God, we thank you so much for sending that Savior, that blessed Holy Savior, that innocent man, the perfect Lamb, the one who's in heaven right now, the one who John saw, that powerful King, 
that did what no other king would ever do, that king that would come to us where we are and pay a debt as an ultimate sacrifice that we could never pay, that no one could ever pay. We thank you so much for that, God. We thank you for that hope. Lord, I pray for every soul in here today that they press into that hope that you've given, that hope of eternal life. God, we know that the hope that you speak of is not the hope that the world sees. The world sees hope as literally wondering if it's going to happen. But the hope that you provide is a promise. It's a looking forward to kind of hope. Lord, I pray that everybody here in this Christmas season looks to that hope, submits themselves, relieves themselves of ongoing sin if it's there, gives that sin to you. And also for those who are lost, those who we have in our families who are lost, friends and loved ones we know who are outside of your grace, we pray that they see Jesus this Christmas, that they see Christmas in a whole new light. They see the power of the King of all kings, born in a humble way and dying in a humble way for our sins. And I pray that they come to Christ. God, I pray that you give us the strength in this next year to hold on to that hope, hold on to that promise, and walk in joy. Because no matter what this world brings, you are in control. As your scripture says, you work for the good for those who love you. And no matter what, we can look to you for the good, and we can look to you for hope. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And we ask that you give us the Holy Spirit to turn from our flesh and walk with you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for Joe for delivering the message today. I appreciate him so, so very much. And um, just know that God's doing a great work in his life and in his ministry as he has come on board full time. Um, I do want to continue in this uh, spirit of worship as we prepare to take of the uh, elements of the Lord's Supper. And so you should have uh, with you... Um, in your seat, you should have gotten one of these as you came in. If you did not, they're actually there on the back table. For those who are watching online, we encourage you, if you would like to uh, participate in us with this, um, with a wafer and some juice. And so for those who are here, these particular wafer, wafers, there's a very thin um, covering over the top, and it will unveil the wafer. And then um, below that is another layer that you can peel back and do that. But while you're getting, kind of figuring that out, I do want to let you know that we talked a lot about today. We sang and we talked about the cross. Now, I know it's kind of different to talk about the cross um, at, at, at Christmas, but actually, you know, uh, when, when Mary was wrapping up her child, she would one day wrap up her adult child in cloths for burial. Because the Christmas story points to the cross. Jesus came in that simple place, in that simple place in a deserted world, a world that deserted him, that pushed him outside in the stable. Jesus came in a dark world at night 
just to sort of show symbolically that we live in a dark world and, and the thing that makes this world dark is sin and um, Jesus also came in a dirty world you know it wasn't it wasn't uh, rich and famous it wasn't polished politicians it wasn't even preachers who were invited to, to come to the labor and delivery room of, of Mary while she delivered Jesus. <laughs> you know, it wasn't those people. It, it was the dirty. It was the dirtiest people doing the dirtiest job on the planet. And that was a shepherd. God specifically chose them. Why? Because they're dirty. And why is that important? Because God says, I don't care how dirty you are, you can come to me. Because I already came to you. And so as we set our minds on this sacrifice, these elements, just know that and be remembered that Jesus came to us in times of of darkness in our dirty sin and our dirty life. As we read in Matthew chapter 26, and this is not going to be on the screen, but this is just something that prepares our hearts for observing the Lord's Supper. In verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and we had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Let's partake of the, of the bread. Then he took a cup. We had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake of the cup. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus on the cross for us to die in our place. Yes, Father, we celebrate his birth. What a glorious uh, celebration that is. But if the cross never happened, if the grave never happened, if the resurrection never happened, his birth means nothing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life for us, for showing us that you came into this world. When we feel deserted from others, from the things that we do in our life, our sin, you know what it feels like to be deserted. And when you came in this world into the, into the darkness, Lord, we are surrounded 
by the darkness of, of sin, not only in our life, but in, in our world. And because of that darkness, we're not able to see the, the, the filth and the dirtiness around us, whether it be in our hearts or our families, in our relationships. So, Lord Jesus, we need your light. We need your light to shine through, to cut through the darkness and illuminate what's there for us to be able to deal with it, for us to be able to say, just like a shepherd, I'm dirty. I don't deserve to come into this throne room. And Father, you say that's okay. Because you're right, you aren't worthy. But I can make you worthy through my son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us have a second chance, a third chance, for giving us so much grace that we are totally overwhelmed. And I pray, Father, that as people are searching through this dark world for a light, they come to find you. Whether they be here today or whether they're watching online, we pray, Father, that you show your light of love to them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're gonna give you that opportunity right now. The message has been clear. The message has been given to you. The next step is what you're gonna do about it. What are you gonna do about it? So my hope is that you would accept Christ and for his light to illuminate and for his red blood, his holy blood, to cover all of your sins. That's very, very possible. But that depends on you. Jesus already did his part. If you want Jesus to come in and do his work in your life, that is through an invitation. So if you want that prayer, you pray something like this. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. Please shine your light in my dark heart. Please remove the filth in my life. I come before you dirty, but please make me clean. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you today, uh, we do want to help you get to a next step. And uh, feel free to let us know. You can let Joe know. You can let me know. If you're watching online, you can just send an email to, to my email, which is pastor at lakepointonline.com. We'd love to be able to hear about that. Uh, but just, um, just a couple of things before you leave or before you sign off. Uh, we've got Christmas Eve service here at Red Top Middle School at 5 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. There's going to be candles. There's going to be carols. And I've got a, a short message for us. It's a shortened service and normal, but you don't want to uh, 
uh, have your Christmas without this gathering. So this Thursday, Christmas Eve at five o'clock. Next Sunday, we will not meet here. We will be online only, okay? And we're gonna be watching, see how many people are watching online. So you join us, and I need all of you joining us online uh, next Sunday. You don't wanna miss it. And uh, there's no putting away the chairs because we need them all here on Thursday. We we'll love you guys. We'll talk to you later. See you next week. See you Thursday.